Thank you all for being here. Uh, we do have some uh, a little bit of business I'll take care of first before we get started. Uh, coming up, um, we will do a standalone uh, Bible study today, uh, and then beginning next Wednesday, uh, unless I end up in Starkville, because uh, I've just got word that my kid that's in college says, oh, by the way, Dad, I'm moving home next week. Uh, but um, and, there's, and I need a truck. But anyway, so... Uh, uh, we'll see. Uh, I think I let's go ahead and say, unless you hear different from me, that we'll be here next Wednesday, and we'll start the Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. Uh, that'll be the book Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges, uh, and we'll, we'll I may give you a little bit of an intro into that toward the end of the lesson today, if time allows. If not, we'll just start that next Wednesday. Man Church uh, for Shades Mountain Baptist Church. Any of you can attend. Uh, that is coming up six o'clock this Sunday, uh, the twenty eighth, and Scott Dawson will be our speaker, and then we'll be presenting other Bible study options. If you're kind of getting burned out on Rick and you want to try some other options, we usually have multiple uh, Bible studies that are being taught. You're welcome to plug into to one of those, or if you want to add it as another Bible study, you'll be part of, and we'll also let you know things uh, that our men's ministry are offering right now that you might want to participate in. Uh, we have a prayer breakfast that's going to come up on May the 4th. Uh, that will be Todd Jones for you baseball fans. Uh, Rolay's reliever of the year. He's an all-star, played and pitched in World Series. And if you like to play sports trivia, uh, remember the name Todd Jones, the last person to throw a pitch in Tiger Stadium. Uh, so he threw the very last pitch before they renovated Tiger Stadium. And he is actually on Trivial Pursuit. If you get in the sports edition, they'll ask that question. So you know now it's Todd Jones. So he'll be addressing our men at the prayer breakfast. You can get those tickets through our church, and you can certainly get them at Man Church coming up on Sunday night. Another thing I want to make you aware of, and I have them here, because I'm going to give you guys first shot at it. It's not popcorn. That's just what the kid gave me that uh, I turned his day up, down, upside down yesterday. When I went to get 156 tickets to Kingdom Men Rising, uh, the Dr. Tony Evans movie that's coming out next week. Uh, so uh, our men's ministry bought an entire theater uh, for the 7 o'clock showing next Tuesday night. It'll only air two nights. Uh, it'll only show two nights at theaters all across the country. Uh, this is taking on what we talk about in here, uh, that our country has a problem when it comes to masculinity and men, and the Bible should be the correction uh, for, for men, and that would solve the problems. Tony Dungy is part of the documentary, Kirk Franklin. Uh, there's, there's other men that are part of this documentary. It's 90 minutes long, and it will be shown at theaters everywhere, the 29th and the 30th. And for you guys, if anybody wants tickets to the 7 o'clock Tuesday night Lee Branch AMC, on your way out today, come see me, and I'll give you tickets. And then we'll have these also at Man Church on, on uh, Sunday night until we run out. So I would encourage you to uh, go see that. If you have a son, take a son with you. And really, uh, I thought this was wise. They said it would also be good for women. If you're the women who watch and listen to this, because especially if you're a single mom, uh, if you'd like to know how what, what God's intention for, for males uh, and men, uh, what, what the truth about that is, it would be beneficial to you as well. Uh, so... Uh, or maybe understand your husband better. Uh, so that, uh, that's coming up Monday and Tuesday of next week, and I've got tickets for our men for Tuesday night. All right, so I think that's got us all caught up. Is that everything? Any other questions? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and let it, let it just cut and refine and challenge and strengthen. Uh, Lord, we, we, we're going to learn again today that what we're holding today and looking at has been breathed out by you. Wow, what a statement. Uh, and may we take it the way you intended, never to take it lightly as we unpack your word and your revelation about yourself and about us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I, I kicked around what would be the last standalone Bible study we would do uh, before we start another series. And, and I just kept praying about it, and I went back and forth. The last two, I knew what I was going to do. Today was kind of up in the air, and I kept praying about where God wanted to take me, and he just kept taking me. Uh, to to Second Timothy. If you have Second Timothy, uh, and you have your Bible, or as uh, our pastor calls it, the Holy Mobile, your uh, your phone, uh, we're going to go to Second Timothy, and we're going to deal with chapters three and four uh, today. Walking through this, um, unpacking the parts that maybe would be unique, uh, maybe some things you hadn't really thought about. I know a lot of this really really um, impacted me as I was looking at it because I think that that one of the things we need to be as far as the men, and I love what Dr. Tony Evans said uh, on one of the promos they're running about this movie, this documentary I just mentioned. He said, this is no longer a time for secret agent Christians, uh, CIA covert Christians. 
It's time now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you stand up and you publicly and everybody knows, I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and, and part of that, as you'll see, uh, Paul, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, I love how people act like that, you know, this is the first time that the church has ever had issues with people out there preaching false theology. Like, that's never happened before. Uh, it's been going on since the beginning. You remember we went through the study of Acts. They were constantly having to deal with uh, the bigotry in the church between the Gentiles and the Jews, and we're confused. Which way are we going to go with this? The way of the Gentiles is make us less Jewish? Uh, are these Gentiles becoming Jews and, and uh, circumcision and all these different things? Um, so the, the church has always needed leaders in the church, and a lot of times the men of the church, to stand up and say, we need clarity, that we're, we're standing on the truth. And so Paul's going to begin to write to Timothy about the end times, and, and we're going to all think to ourselves, he's talking about right now. Uh, keep in mind, when he's writing this, he doesn't even fathom 2019. Uh, I mean, a lot of times, they, they really expected that Jesus would come get them before they died. Uh, and now Paul's realizing, he's probably not coming to get me before I'm going to die, because I sense that's coming very soon. So he's giving his instructions to Timothy, and as we open up God's Word, let's think about this. Here's what he says in chapter 3. But understand this, and we, we, we need to put our, right now we're Timothy, okay, and we're listening to the Apostle Paul. But understand this, that in the last days there will, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Anybody say that? I mean, when I got to that first line, I thought, should I just read past that? I don't know that in my life I've ever lived in a time, and I'm 54, where people are as self-involved as they are today. As a matter of fact, one thing I think we need to correct, and, and if you've never heard it now, again, when we get into some of the deeper theolo the theology, we got, we got our things that we cannot, we just can't get past. Then we got the secondary issues that have nothing to do with salvation, and they're fun to talk about, and especially if you want to try, try to sound smart, but but they probably are a waste of time because I love when we all think we figured God out completely, but no one else has. But, but anyway, in this particular part, John Popper did a very, very incredible message, and he was, he was in Colorado because I, I remember he was outside at some amphitheater. It might have been at, at uh, the Red Rock thing there. It might have been there. I don't remember where it was. But he was taking on this issue that even within the, the modern-day church, too many times, you see that this, this love of self has actually entered the church. And that we've, also all, we've almost gotten to the position that we think that God has become a human worshiper. That we're so wonderful that, that, that God is just obsessed with us and that somehow we made God better. And he was talking about how holy God was and who he was and all the things you see when Isaiah with his vision about the holiness and, 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 the, and the temple and, and here's the, the angels and the cherubim, the seraphim, they're, they're covering their eyes and they're crying holy. And he said, and then human beings came on the scene and nothing changed about God. We didn't, we didn't, he go, oh, I just was incomplete till they came along. Now, is, is, is it obvious that he does love us? Yes, praise the Lord for that. I mean, he, he showed that on the cross. But we also can find that in Genesis, at one time, he's saying, I regret I ever did this. I, I, th these people have become so evil, I regret I ever made them. So I think one of the things about being self-involved is it, that's one thing. We certainly see that. But I've got news for you. We need to be more concerned about who God is as opposed to who we are. You know, we're, we're, we're here to worship him. He is not here to worship us. And if you listen to a lot of places that can draw really big crowds, you would think, if I go there, worship is about me. It's not about God. I mean, we, you, I, I saw a book that was put out the other day by someone who's supposed to be one of our Christian writers, and as soon as I saw the title, it, it made me nauseous because you know what the title of it was? Exceptionally You. Exceptionally You. And I thought to myself, what could be further from the truth? Now, if it wanted to say exceptional grace, exceptional God, exceptional holiness, now that'd be something I'd be interested in. But here's a book written by someone who's supposed to be a Christian leader that says, my book will make you feel wonderful about yourself. When, when everything I can read in the Bible makes me feel wretched and in great need of, 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 of immeasurable grace. So it says in the end times, he says, what you're going to see, you're going to see there's going to be lovers of self. 
Uh, do you think he ever imagined the selfie? Uh, you know, really think about it. Narcissism right now is at all time. I mean, it is running amok. And uh, that and the fact that, that people seem just lost all concept of, of humility concerning themselves and, 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 and their children. I, I still, I, it's happened to me again since the last time I've talked about it. Guys, parents, young parents, stop bragging on your kids to everybody. This, you sound ridiculous. I mean, I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean, I just met you. I had a guy there, and he said, yes, yes, this, this, good to see you out here. He said, he said you know, uh, my, my daughter, you know, plays softball, sick softball player. I mean, she is fantastic. She is unbelievable, and all the colleges are after her. And I'm just like, I just happened to be standing where you were. I, I, we don't even know each other. I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it was, and I'm like, hey, who says this about, about, the, about their kid? And, uh, you know, my kid, now my middle kid, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal athlete, uh, this uh, and I'm just like my dad. My dad, my like I said before, this was how my dad talked. Hey, coach, tell you what, that son you got, he's a big old boy, lazy, <laughs> uh, baby. If I can get him out from his mama's skirt, they would have never said anything, you know, that would even remotely. Is that not it? Does that sound like everybody's dad in here? Yes, big kids, you got big baby, and uh, so so they wanted you to actually accomplish something before anyone would, you know. You know, maybe have something. You don't go around and tell people how wonderful you are and how wonderful your kids are. That's not even appropriate. So anyway, so what we're talking about is that there'll be lovers of self, lovers of money. We see that proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Have, have, have we ever seen a time where kids, you know, have you ever been around a kid and him say something to your parents and you think, ooh, and then nothing happened? I mean, I, you, you almost, I even say, oh, I better turn before they get hit. You know, because I, I, you know, I, I mean, because somebody's about to get it right now. And, uh, and, and, and I, I can remember the first time that I, I was, I was well, you remember video games became crazy and all this. And um, this woman was in a video store, and I was looking for a present for one of the kids, and, and we managed that at our house. And thankfully, our kids never became real obsessive about it, but they did play the games for a while and here and there. And, and the woman says, I got to ask you something. I said, okay. She says, my, my, my son just plays video games all the time. Okay. And, and I just don't know what to do about it. She said, what do you do? I said, I tell them when they can play and when they can't. <laughs> Did that never creep into your mind? I mean, my kids played video games when I said it was okay to and how long I said they could play, and then when that time was up, it was over. That's what I did. That, that doesn't seem that outlandish to me. You know, but now, and I've seen it, I've seen it with coaches. I never thought I would live a time when I've seen so many coaches afraid of players. I don't mean physically. I'm just talking about afraid they'll quit, afraid they'll leave. You know, and with my dad, you know, I've been putting out my dad's famous quotes uh, this week uh, when he's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame this weekend. And please, y'all pray about that. That, that, that all goes smooth. And... Um, and, and one of the things he said, he said, if, if a player has all this athletic ability, but they, the, but they won't buy into the program, they won't follow the rules, uh, they're arrogant, they don't have character, they don't have integrity, he says, I don't care how talented they are, they'll lay awake at night thinking of ways to get you beat. I promise you they're going to get you beat. It's because you're, go, you're compromising everything for their ability, but you should have never compromised any of it because all they're going to be is somebody gets you beat anyway. They're going to run fast, jump high, but at some point when you need them, that character and integrity is going to rise up, and they're going to get you beat. And so I, my, my father never tolerated anyone, no matter how good they were, that, did, that said, I, do, I won't do what you tell me to do. And, and so we're at a time now where parents are, are walking around like, like we're, we're terrified of our children. And, and Paul's writing to Timothy said, this is going to be part. And you know the thing about it, if you would just discipline your kid, the Bible says that God disciplines people that he loves. Think about that he even uses the, the example of just like a father disciplines their child, and though it may cause pain for a short period of time in the long run, you actually should be thankful for it because they cared enough to discipline you. Can I tell some of you parents that, are, that, that are, have little kings at your house and queens, you know what, at, the, at night when they lay down what they're really thinking, you don't love me because you won't take the effort and the time to discipline me. You would just rather go the easy way and, and to live in the moment, but deep down they know you don't care enough to discipline them. 
because every child craves that whether they know it or not. I see it in coaching all the time. You can see it every time you get a chance to coach and you start disciplining and, and, and becoming heavy-handed and becoming somebody in leadership that won't tolerate certain things. These, these people thrive. That's what they've been waiting on. And, and so Paul says, look for this to be a sign of the end times. Then he goes on to say this. He said, they'll be unholy. We see that right now. As a matter of fact, I hate to say this about the church, and we're going to get into it in our next lesson. You're very unpopular if you talk about holiness anywhere, sometimes even within the church. And I've got news for you. You're going to find out in this next study, next study, holiness is a really big deal. You know, what we're trying to do is we say, you know, we take God and we turn him into this folksy cartoon character, you know, big man upstairs, all this garbage. And as I've told you all many times, I know somebody is lost when they refer to the great I am as the big man upstairs. You know that guy. That, that, you know, yeah, I know, man. You know, me and the big man upstairs and uh, that kind of stuff. And what we're trying to do is why do, we, why do we become unholy and why do we start saying holiness is no big deal? I'll tell you why. Because if we take God and we'll dumb him down to something like a folksy old grandfather in a rocking chair with some fancy things to say on the porch, he becomes much easier to sin against. I, you know, I'm going to make God something I want him to be. I'm not going to submit to him and be concerned on how, what he wants me to be. I want him, you know, he, he came to me out of grace. Yes, he did. Praise the Lord for that. But he did not change who he was. And what we try to do is we say, I don't want to hear about holiness because that standard is too high. And as a matter of fact, what I want to do is I would rather get, put God in a position where he seems kind, he seems nice, Praise the Lord for that. And he showed me grace. He forgave me. I believed in him intellectually. And I think I've done enough not to go to hell, but please don't bother me about the rest of my life. Can I tell you the problem with that? That's not salvation. That's not redemption. That, that's a made-up form of religion that I would be gravely concerned if that's your theology. Because it's not a biblical one at all. And, and Paul says we should look for this in the, in, in, in the end times. He said people become heartless. They'll become, un, become unappeasable. Have you seen that? The mobs that we have now. You can't appease them. I mean, this is the first time that I've ever really lived that I can recall that, that doing what I do for a living and maybe have some different points of views and, and getting into uh, conversations with people. You can't have a, a, you know, a, a calm disagreement and a discussion. And have you ever had that, that point? Like I, I said this many times when I talk, this is what I, it's like if I, let's say that I have been talking to someone I'm holding up for those you can't see. Um, a Rick and Bubba coffee mug available at rickandbubba.com by clicking on the store. <laughs> I'm holding it up, and it, and it is white. And what, what does it look like there? Have red writing? Is that what it looks like? It's white, and the Rick and Bubba logo is in red. Do we all agree that's what it is? May have some colorblind people in here. Are y'all close? Everybody in agreement with that? We're living in a time where I could be arguing with someone, and they're saying, I'm telling you, that Rick and Bubba mug is a light blue with black writing. And we're going back and forth. I said, hey, today it's over. I found it. Hey, look, guys. I was saying that we, it was a white mug with red writing, and you said it was light blue with black writing. I found the mug, and look, it's white with red writing. You know what they say? No, it's not. I'm sorry. I, there it is. I mean, I, I have it. No, it's not. It's light blue with black writing. No, no, it's not. And then you realize, why am I arguing with this person? They're unappeasable. I can never, I can never say anything that they finally go, hey, man, you know what? I was wrong, or hey, thank you. That's what I needed to hear. And he says, you're going to find, and I've noticed that, we don't really have an ability anymore to carry on conversations. Now, we can find all kinds of reasons what we want to blame that on, but you can really not converse with people like we once could with different opinions and different, and different topics. I mean, it, it's, like, it's like the entire world has all turned into SEC football fans. You know, my team does everything right, your team does everything wrong, and I don't hear anything else. Okay, and your team cheat, your team cheats, my team doesn't. You know, and, and it's like we've become that way about everything. And, uh, and Paul said, well, yeah, Rick, you should see that because I told young Timothy, as I'm telling you, that's coming. He says also what we find is what? We find that they're slanderous. They're without self-control. They're brutal. They don't love good. They're treacherous. They're reckless. They're swollen with conceit. Conceit Talked about that. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's almost like Paul says, let me just wrap it up. You're going to find that people will become obsessed with pleasing themselves and obsessed with pleasure, and then they'll, and what they'll do, they'll take that over God. Now, we see that everywhere we turn. What's the biggest in industry in the country? Porn. You know, what, 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 do we, what do we hear in, in the line of work I'm in? Sex sales. You know, just do something that has something to do with sex and people pay attention to it. 
Why? Because we know that if you can do that to most every human being, then you'll get their attention. Because there, and, and see, we've gotten to the point, with, what he means about this too, is that we've gotten in the point to the point that we'll just, for a moment of, of physical pleasure or any kind of euphoria, we'll take that over the endless pleasure and peace of being with God. We, don't, we think the pleasure is better than God. And, and you know why we, we know that's true? Because that's what people do. Because what do we, we've been saying in here for four years. If you want to know what the truth is, watch what people do. I love God. Does it look like it? And wh- wh- where's the proof of that? You know, if you ever want to have fun with somebody, and they tell you that they say, so I want to know, are you a Christian? And they say, yes. And then just say this, based on what? Prepare for what just happened here, that little cone of silence. And so what you've got to ask your question today, if somebody says, all right, so you're, you're looking at this, you're not a lover of pleasure you, you, as opposed to being a lover of God, you say, no, I'm not. And then the next question is, based on what? Now, I don't know the answers in this room or all over this country or around the world, but that's a question we need to ask ourselves today. I know it's easy to claim that, but would I look into your life and see that? I mean, think about it. Most people that you run into, and I certainly have been a, a victim of this, and this is something that God's changing in me, even if we get to the point where we're pretty solid in our faith and we think this is really becoming more important to us, we will still compromise God to, to watch a show. We'll compromise God to listen to a song. You know, you don't have to be out watching porn or, or committing adultery. It may be something as simple as, there's just not a whole lot of stuff, Rick, I'm going to give up. Look, look at me. Being, being 300-something pounds at one time. You know why that was? Because I would rather overeat, and I'd rather eat whatever tastes good than to think to myself, does this impact my witness for God at all? I wasn't even willing to sacrifice that. You say, well, Rick, now you're being legalistic. I'm not being legalistic. I'm being obedient. Do I have to be a certain height and weight legalistically to go to heaven? No. But is it a truth? that it's better worship of God for me to have more self-control so I can be a better example, especially leading men who would look at me at 305 pounds and say, did he just say self-control? What credibility does he have? And we also know the Bible does speak what? That gluttony is a sin. Well, Rick, that's not just about food. That's right, but it also is about food. It's about overindulgence in anything, which does include food. What does it say? Are, are, are you eating to live, or are you living to eat? And I can tell you, I spent a, lar- a large portion of my life living to eat. And I didn't care how it impacted my witness. And I really didn't care how it made God look. Because why? I wanted to please myself in the moment. That was more important to me. I didn't have a long-term look at this at all because I didn't want to hear that. And then what did I become? The thing we've been trying to talk about, I became a grace abuser. Well, God doesn't really say that. Because you know what I was? And this is what we find when it comes to these kinds of things. I was very vocal and ready to fight and stand up against sins I didn't struggle with. <laughs> we love those, don't we? You know, and then before you know it, then you find out, like you, I've seen in my life with my family, things that you thought would never come knocking at your door, suddenly they're here. You know, and it was so easy to stand up against them when it didn't impact you at all. But then it starts impacting you. Then before you know it, you're facing those kind of things. And if that attitude about the things that you did struggle with, suddenly all Satan knows is, well, then I'll make this sin that he's never or she's never struggled with, I'll bring that into their life. And then it'll also be like these other sins they compromise. They'll probably just compromise that too. The only reason why they hadn't compromised this, it hadn't come to their door. So Satan laughs and says, oh, I'll get that one. If they've got that attitude, that sin, only some sins are a big deal, I'll win this one. So, so these are the kind of things that Paul is warning Timothy to tell. And these are not lost people he's talking about here. He's telling Timothy, you, 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 this is going on in the church body, and you've got to understand that those of us that have claimed to be part of the church, this is not how we live. And in the end times, you're going to see this stuff, not out in just in the world, you're going to see it within the church. And if you don't believe me, listen as it goes on. Having, look at the next thing, look at five, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Oh, Rick, I liked it better when you were talking about all those other lines. I, 
I like all this stuff up here about, you know, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and holy, heartless, unappeasable. Talk about murder and all that again, Rick. No, no. Look, he said now, I'm continuing to give you a list, but I'm going to tell you who else you got to look out for, Timothy. Watch out for those people who truly love pleasure more than they love God. Now, they're going to have the appearance of godliness, but when you look at how they live, you will not see the power of it. Meaning what? They're lying. They have the appearance of godliness. But because their life is just like the world, they deny that it has any power. See, I love grace. Because without it, I'd be doomed. But I'm not an abuser of grace, meaning I think that this God encounter that I've had that has, has redeemed me so that I'll spend eternity in the presence of God as opposed to eternity where I belong and, and, and dying forever in the pits of hell, I acknowledge that God's done enough to take me out of eternal damnation, but He hasn't done enough to change the way I live. Now, come on now. And that garbage is prevalent. It's everywhere. In the church, outside the church, it's everywhere. Be, be careful claiming godliness if nobody sees the power. And he says, but you're going to see this within the church. These are these people, and in men's ministry, I made this commitment to you, and I'm going to vet out speakers the best I can. I may get burned at some point because we've been going at it a long time, but I'm trying not to. I don't want any speaker that's going to get up and tell our men's ministry that they've come to know Christ, but you know what? The same old stuff that's been going on in their life just continues to go on. You know, we just never get past lust, guys. I mean, hey. I don't want those people speaking to our guys. You know why? Because that's not true. I can tell you that through sanctification, and what we're going to talk about in the next round, the Lord God Almighty and the power of the Holy Spirit has justified me, but it is changing me every second of every moment that I'm in pursuit. And you say, oh, Rick's talking about it, that we're part of it. I didn't say that, but let me tell you something. I told you the verse that changed my life forever. And God told me this. I don't know why he threw it in while I was studying this. I was like, God, we've already studied James. And he said, yeah, but you missed this. Right, why are you came back to James 4 again? Because you missed it. I'm sorry I missed it, by the way. I hope some of you, I hope some of you that study James, maybe you'll hear it. Because I missed this. And this is the verse that changed my life. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil. Uh, and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Submit, resist, and come are all three words of action. For all you people that think we just sit around and God just, it, it just happens. Rick, are you denying the sovereignty of God? I am not. I'm just reading you the Bible. Hey, has anybody else believed that submit, resist, and come forward? Those are not words of action. I mean, what if I said to you right now, come on, and you just sat there. Can you go with me unless you what? Get up! If I said submit, you go, I'm submitting. No, that's action. If I said resist, then that's action. And, and God is going, Rick, I changed your whole life with this verse. Have you mentioned this yet? Well, I understand the concept of it. No, tell them it's three words of action. They got to do something. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. But now don't miss. He said, come near to me and what? I'll come near to you. Now he does come to us. And he acknowledges what? I see that submission. You realize the reason why most of us can't get out of sin? You haven't resisted the devil yet. You're not sold that God's better than him. Because we've been partying and we've been having a great time and moments of pleasure. Sin's not always bad to begin with. Not, not from a flesh standpoint. And what is this battle the Bible keeps talking about? That now we've gone into a battle. That Now I'm getting ahead of the next, next, next uh, study, but stay with me. The battle between the flesh and the spirit. Is a battle action? Yes. See, our, 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 our spirit has been made alive. Talking about godliness. It was dead. Sin killed, dead. So Jesus said, I justify that spirit and I make it alive. And now it's alive and now it's got to be sanctified. The battle begins. And as the spirit begins to be sanctified and it is fed, fed, it will defeat the flesh. But the flesh never got the word, you got justified. I didn't get justified. The spirit might have got justified, but I'm dead. 
I'm going to be rotten in a hole. Okay? I'm still fighting. Ain't nothing changed me. Except what? The Spirit defeating it. And how do you feed the Spirit? Action. Action. And that's what Paul is talking about to Timothy. Watch these people that claim godliness, but it ain't changed them. You know why? You know why we don't want those people, Timothy, Rick, everybody? You know why we don't want those people? It doesn't look good. I mean, if I'm lost and I go, this guy says he's godly. He goes to the same movies I go to, listens to the same bands I listen to, drinks the same alcohol I drink, goes after women just like I do, lies just like I do, steals just like I do, uh, eats, overeats, gorges himself just like I do. Would you, why would you put, who wants to put effort in that? You know what that means? Gosh, now i got to set an alarm clock for Sunday morning. So everything else will be the same except now i got to get up and go somewhere on Sunday. I mean, who wants that? You know, I, did, I, used, I used to look at, at the week and, oh, gosh, here comes Sunday. Oh, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And, uh, but now I'm like, oh, man, I'm so fine. I, I, I I'm thinking, I wonder what songs we're going to sing, what we're going to do, what we're going to talk about, what kind of challenge is going to happen. I mean, what, what's going to be going to see? So, I, man, I just, this, I, it, it changes everything. But when you, if you still feel like you legalistically, which you don't, by the way, if you think this is an obligation that we need from you, to come into a church and just fill up a seat. We don't need it. There's a lot of churches crowded. They'd like for you to get up. Somebody can't, can get a better seat. You know, I, I hope you're going there because you've been justified by the Holy Spirit and you're being sanctified by all that you're getting, all the ammunition your spirit's getting to win. You, you, heard, you heard something you hadn't heard before or you heard something you heard a thousand times like I just talked about James 4, 7 and 8 and something clicked. God said, by the way, that's why I had you preaching that for three years. I kept waiting on you to say this point. And it took to 2019 for me to say it. I understood the concept of it, but what I just said makes more sense to me than that, those verses ever have. I get it. And that just happened. So this, this, this is alive and well. So he said, stay, and this is what I love. Listen to this next part, and this is something that's not very popular today at all. He says, they'll deny the power, and then look at the next part. You ready for this? Everybody ready for this? You talk about counterculture. Even counter-church culture. Avoid these people. Hmm. Hey, stay away from those people now. Rick, that's what it says. It doesn't say stay away from the loss, does it? Certainly not. We don't want to run with the loss, but we're engaging the loss because we hope that like we were, that we'll, they'll see the hope and they'll change. Lost people should act like lost people. Y'all heard me say that before, right? That's not a big deal. When I was lost, guess what I acted like? A lost person. Right? So that's the fruit of being lost. Just like there's a fruit from being, being saved, uh, you know, and being justified, there's fruit of being lost. And I, had, I, I lived like a lost person. You should have expected me to be like I was. But what, you know what Paul's telling Timothy? But watch those that claim that they're one of us, but you don't see the power of it. They're living a lie, and you stay away from those people. It's different, isn't it? Guys, I literally have taken these verses, and the Bible talked about this, and have taken situations with people and have said, okay, Lord, is this just a lost person? Because you've told me to treat them one way, or is this a person who certainly may be lost, but they're claiming to be a member of the church? Because you told me two different approaches to this. You don't want me having eaten with the people that claim to be a member of the church but don't live it, and you just told me in your letter to Timothy to stay away from them. Don't be in relationships with these kind of people. I've tried it. I see now why they say don't do it. Because I'm going to tell you something, they're going to burn you. You're going to find yourself in a situation where they, and you'll go, wait a minute, isn't that your buddy? All right, well. Did you see what he did? Well, I mean... I thought you were telling all of us he was a member of the church. Man, I, 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 I'm, I'm having him and his wife over to my house. You didn't tell me he was this kind of guy. Th these people are dangerous. And, and, and the call from the Bible to these types of people is different than the lost. The lost don't know any better. Now, some of the people have claimed that Jesus went to the bars and the strip clubs and all that. That's not true either. Jesus did not deny lost people access to him, but he met them in the common places. That's, that's, a big, that's a biggie. We've almost cast Jesus like a hippie who just who drank, hang out, chased women, and everybody liked him, and he just happened to talk about love a lot and grace. 
No, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's holy, and he never took himself to unholy places. And when he was dealing with the lost, what did he say to them? Here's why you're lost, and here's how, why you need me, and I will not deny you the grace. And we certainly should have that attitude. But those that walk around, the sheep on appearance, but wolves underneath, the Bible gives us warnings about these people now. And if you don't watch them, they'll find their way up on a platform and start talking. You got to be real careful. That's the reason why the Bible talks about elders and deacons and teachers give these people a really stringent look. And I will tell you this it's so important. It's so important that if you need 25 of them and you can't vet out but, but 10, go with 10. Well, I really think we need 25. We, no, we don't need 15 others that we can't vouch for. If 10's all we can find, let's roll with 10. I had somebody tell me one time, say, what are we going to do about these Sunday school classes? I say, have bigger ones. I know the Baptist way we're supposed to break out and do is that a certain amount. Not if we can't trust the person leading it, we don't do it. The, the, the program's not more important than the Bible. Hey, I thought, hey, you got, you got 40 people in this class. That needs to be a, a two classes. I can't find another teacher that I can vouch for. Okay, let's stay with 40. At least they got a good teacher. Right? Did Jesus ever run around and say, well, we got too big a crowd here. Let me see if I can get somebody that can teach as good as I can. I mean, did that ever happen? Now, I'll tell you what he did do, which a lot of churches don't do today. Boy, I'm really on, I'm in trouble today. <laughs> Speedy at rickandbubba.com. Listen, let me tell you what a lot of churches do now, though. What, what, what they'll do, seriously, is they will say to themselves, we have a big crowd, and we want to keep having a big crowd. So there's nothing wrong with big crowds. And they're 100% right, unless you're dumbing down the message to have big crowds. Because Jesus didn't do that. I don't know if y'all noticed one time, he got up to 125, and everybody's like, 125? We got 125 people in our new church plant. Also, he turned around and says, I want to talk about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. <laughs> so when his crowds got bigger, the message got harder, not softer. Not, 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 not inch deep. It got deeper and deeper. Why? He wanted to figure out who was, who was with him and who wasn't. He never catered the message to draw a bigger crowd. He might, he might do something to get you started, but then when he had your attention, he said, now let me tell you the truth. I, I, I talked to a, a young brother of mine, and he may be listening to this, and I apologize, buddy, but I can't let this go. And, and it was fine. Nothing wrong with this. We, we got on the right, same page, and he was talking to me about this balance. Truth and grace, the balance, the dance. I said, it is. It's, you, know, you can't have grace without truth, but you certainly can't have truth without grace or love, however you want to do it. And that's true. And I've been guilty sometimes of being heavy on truth and not as good on love. And, I, and, I, and God's changed me on that. I hope you all have seen I've gotten better on that. But at the same time, I can't come over here and love all over you and throw all this grace on you and never tell you the truth. If I don't tell you the truth, I don't really love you. And then it happened. You know, Jesus was grace first and truth second. I said, whoa, 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 tap the brakes. What did you just say? And I realized this is probably what this guy's being taught. Well, you know, Jesus was grace first, truth second. No, because if Jesus isn't truth, we don't even know why we need grace. No, he's truth first. He never said, I'm the way, the grace, and the life. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's my name. My name, I am the truth. He was truth first, and his truth and who he is made us aware that we need his grace. Without truth, we don't even know we need it. Oh, he's leading with grace. So we don't know the truth? No, I don't know why he's doing it, but he's doing it. I'm glad we got it. Do we need this grace? I don't know. But I'm glad he's giving it out because you know he's grace first. No, he's not. He's truth first. And then we know we need his grace. And then he gives grace. But see, that's being taught. That's somebody that thinks that. They think that's the theology. And that's dangerous because you got a lot of people out there saying, I got grace today. Why? I don't know. What's the truth of the matter? I have no idea. I just heard Jesus was grace first and, and then truth. Y'all do realize that, that violates logic. And, and so this is what he says that we have to be aware of, and it's a very big deal. And then he comes up, look, he comes up with examples. He says, just like Janus and Jambres who opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was with these two men. Now, these two men that rose up against Moses, and God shut that down. They appeared what? Like they were they, they could represent the crowd and they said, you know, we, we want to overthrow Moses. We don't think he's the leader and all this. And what does he say? Stand by. 
Don't be fooled by them. The Lord will reveal who they are. Just like he did with these two cats. The Lord will reveal it. And you know what? Have you ever noticed that does happen, doesn't it? Eventually it comes out. That's why I love what Jesus said. If you want to know who's with me, watch the ones who obey my father. There's obedience being talked about again. If you want, there's a lot of people talk about me, Matthew 7. A lot of people talk about me. He goes, well, if you want to know the ones, they might be doing stuff in my name, but if you know who they are, the true ones obey the will of my Father. It means they're obedient. There shouldn't, be, there shouldn't be inconsistency in their life. You know what Jesus was saying over and over again, about even when he talked about it? He says, just pay attention. Sooner or later, the thing we talked about for four years, somebody will show you who they are. It'll come out. But always be cautious. If you do not see the fruit of the godliness that is claimed, that's a caution flag. And then it ought to be a red flag. And the Bible says, be careful of these people. You, however, now it goes to who we're supposed to be. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my, my love, my steadfastness. Okay, don't miss this, because you, just like I did there to a degree, and I apologize for that. Don't just read that like a list, because this is important. You know what Paul's saying? I'm about to tell you how you should be. I just told you how you don't want to be. This represents the end times. This is how I don't want it to look. Here's how I want it to look. You, however, have followed my teaching. What? My conduct? My aim in life. But what was Paul's aim in life? To finish the race. That grace would not be wasted on him. That he would fight the fight. That he would press on. That he would strain to the end. That he would receive the crown of righteousness from our Lord and Savior like all who celebrate who Jesus is. So he said, if you want to do it right, watch how I behave, look at my aim in life, my faith, which was unwavering. When I was changed on the road to Damascus, I never looked the same again. He said, my patience. Rick, come on, keep working with that, baby. I'm getting better. I really am. Doesn't sound like it today, but I really am. My love. So yeah, we got to have patience and we got to have love. If we don't have love... <laughs> That means that our motivation is wrong. I don't need to say I love the truth just so I'll look good. I love the truth just so I'll be right. And that wasn't what I was saying to my brother. I loved him enough to say, i got to correct you. I'm a little older than you are, and you certainly love the Lord. And this guy does. He loves the Lord. I said, I just want to correct this right here. You got that backwards. And, and, we, and we talked about it. It's fine. Patience, love, and this one. We talked about this so much, steadfastness. Hey, don't, hey guys, don't fade. We just did this Bible study called Finishing Strong. Don't fade. Be steady. You know, be, be steadfast, meaning I'm immovable on where I'm going. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He can depend on me, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. I'm devoted to him. I love him. My obedience is based on love, not legalism. And you know what? If he gives me work to do, he can trust me that I'll do it. I say that to the intern programs when they come here. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care what you're bringing to the table. I don't care how good looking you may be, how wonderful your parents think you are. Can I depend on you? If I say this is you got this covered, will it be covered? If I say be here at 6, you're going to be here at 6. You don't want to hear everything I can do? I don't because if you can't be steadfast, I can't trust you. You're no good to us. He said, I'm steadfast. My persecutions and suffering... That happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and I say Lystra. The English talking guy said Lystra, but I like Lystra better. He said, those persecutions in these places I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And here comes this one. Hey, hang on, we've said it before, but today I want you to know where it is in the Bible. I want you to write this down. I want you to look at your life and see what you see. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, Brother Timothy, all who desire. To live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a big, big statement. He's telling him, follow my example, young man of God, older man of God. Paul's getting old here toward the end. This is getting, we're getting at the end now, okay? And he says, just look at my resume. And he says, you notice I got persecuted a lot. I suffered a lot. And you know what I love about this? This is great. If you do everything I just told you to do, expect it. It's coming. Indeed, meaning, let me emphasize, all. Did he say some? There was a word some here? Let's look. No, it's not. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, and this is key, in Christ Jesus. 
What did Jesus, what has Jesus been told them long before he ascended? I'm going to cause trouble for you. <coughs> Think about the times we're living in now. You can say God. We see, we see award shows. We can have somebody walk up to the platform that did a song about debauchery, drunkenness, uh, blasphemy. I just want to thank God for my Grammy. And, you know, I'll, and I screamed at the TV and Sherry gets tired of this. God had nothing to do with this. Thank Satan for it. That's who it sounds like you serve. Okay? But, but think about it. He may be right. Because he's using kind of an open word. He's just saying God. And if you notice, you can even get away with people talking about God, higher power. You can even say Father. And people are like, yeah, that's kind. Boy, you say Jesus. So tell me about your faith. I'm a follower of Jesus. Who? Just the minute you say that, I don't know if you've ever done it, you'll see a reaction. People, people don't even like Christian. I mean, they don't mind Christian, I mean, that much. You know, we, we studied that in Acts. That was, that was actually a derogatory statement to begin with because people were making fun of them and saying, there's those Christ-like people. And, of course, they took it as a badge of honor, and I got no problem with that. But you can say Christian, sadly, because there's been so many of these people that claim Christianity but deny its power. People don't care about that. It's his name. It's his name. And he said it would be divisive. He said, I'm controversial. I'm offensive. I'll divide households up. But who will you love more, me or those who are coming against you because of me? You're going to have to choose. Pick up your cross means you gotta, you're going to die. The persecutions and the sufferings will come. And, and that's the reason why I've actually changed most of the time People will say, well, tell me about your faith. What do you believe? I say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Because then we cut out all the garbage. Now, we get, now, we, now, we're right down, now we're down to it. Well, I was wanting other words. Now let's just cut to it. I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe he's the only way to achieve salvation. And, I, I, man, I, I want you to know what he did for us, and I'd love to talk to you about it. That's what's changed my life. It, it, I didn't have access for God to change my life without Jesus, guys. I can't bypass Jesus to get to the Father. So Jesus is it. He, he, he's the one that made me righteous. He's the one that, that gives me my shot. He's the one that will walk me in front of his Holy Father. Rick, are you talking about three persons and one God? I am. Rick, do you know how that works? I don't. I don't. Adrian Rogers said, if you try to figure out the Trinity, you will lose your mind. If you deny its power, you'll lose your salvation. <laughs> so remember, we always look for that in false, false denominations. If they deny the Trinity, we go, ooh. If they deny the deity of Christ, we don't have anything to do with that. So, follower of Jesus, but don't miss this. And this is the part I want you to think. This is not, you, you can think about it now, but you need to ponder this like when, the, when you hear the wheels turning and you're driving and you get alone later and you're looking back on today. All who, who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And here's the question. You've heard me ask it before, but we're in the verse. So I'm going to ask it again. Do you get persecuted? Do you look at your life? and see that your devotion to Christ has cost you anything? Because he says all that choose to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I, when I look in it, and I'm kind of just, I seem like I hadn't really met any opposition. I haven't met any suffering. I hadn't, I hadn't been denied anything. I hadn't had to walk through something. You know what I think to myself? I got it turned down. Now, I'm not talking about being sanctimonious, self-righteous jerks. If people hate us because of Jesus, then we celebrate it. If they hate us because we're a jerk, that's different. That's not what he's calling us to. He's saying, if your devotion to me will cost you something. Because the world, y'all, we're counterculture. And, and, and think about this. We're not just counterculture, and we're not just unlike the world. So that's, again, that's almost like these statements I'm talking about, the, the old man upstairs. These things count, but don't be afraid to call what it is. We don't belong to sin anymore. It's almost like we don't want to say that. I'm talking about sin. You mean the world? Yeah, but go ahead and say it. You can say it. Sin. We don't belong to sin anymore. We belong to Jesus. He paid for us. We just looked at that this past weekend. The reason why he was so brutally despised and beaten and spit on and cussed and slandered and tortured is because our sin is that nasty. What we don't want to be is in sin anymore. Rick, are you talking about perfection? I am. In Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in this next study. You're not going to like the holiness study. 
Because the holiness study says this, this living your life under the authority of Christ and still being immersed in sin is not biblical. We're not talking about stumbles. Not we're talking about mistakes. We're talking about lifestyle, perpetual, endless, no victory over sin. And Paul says the people who decide to live this way will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So now he's telling us what the sacred writings are for. Isn't it interesting that Paul's talking about the Old Testament here? We don't have the New Testament finished yet. And he's talking about Jesus in the sacred writings. So he's confirming what we should already know. The whole Bible's about Jesus. And be real careful on these people that are suddenly wanting to take the Old Testament and toss it. Keep an eye on them. Especially since what he's referring to here is the Old Testament. Okay? So he says that, um, that you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for what? Salvation through the faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So right now, Paul is saying, look, to me, all this, I'm writing a letter to you, which we will end up having in the New Testament. But right now, he's telling Timothy about what? The Old Testament. He said, you'll find in these, these scriptures, they have been breathed out by God, and you'll find redemption in Christ. You, you'll, you'll find that there. And you'll find that, that, that all scripture has been breathed out by God, and it's profitable for what? Teaching. See, we're fine. Yeah, I like that, Rick. We're te- that's what we do in here. You're right, we do. And, and I hope that's what we do. And then, and then he goes on, and by the way, nobody panic. I realize I'm only going to get through chapter 3, but that's fine. He said, all, all Scripture, I'm just going where the Holy Spirit's taking us today. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Uh-oh, look at, look at the next one, for reproof. <gasps> for reproof. You mean sometimes we look at Scripture and come to the conclusion that people are wrong? We do. <gasps> reproof. Guys, can I tell you this, that the only time... Some of the most powerful times in my life, I won't say the only time, the most powerful times in my life where adjustments were made by the power of the Holy Spirit and then by me taking the action we just talked about is when I was reproved. When I looked at Scripture and said, hey, the way I'm living, I can't, I can't justify this. That's, I'm in conflict with the Scriptures. And they breathed out by God, meaning this is, this, is, this is what it's saying to me. So they're good for teaching, and we certainly want to be sanctified, we want to learn, we want to grow in our faith, but it's also good for... Reproof for correction. <laughs> for correction. You mean to tell me that sometimes the church will take Scripture and they will go to a situation and say, based on Scripture, we must correct this? This is, this is unacceptable. You, according to Scripture, you can't do this. Well, who are you to judge? I'm not judging. Scripture is. Well, no, you're not supposed to judge. No, no, no. The Bible says we're not supposed to judge incorrectly. By Scripture, we are correctly judging the situation and, and really, the, what, what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7, we talked about this so many times. There's a whole generation that thinks Matthew 7, 1 and 2 is all Jesus ever said. And, and what he is saying in the Scripture is this is about us having bias. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hypocrite, and I have, I have a bias uh, uh, view of what you're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm judging you because I have some bias against you. And he said that's incorrect judgment. Be sure you've assessed yourself. And be sure that the judgment you're handing down is based on Scripture only, not your personal agenda, not your personal feelings about yourself, being in, uh, someone being inferior to you, or the fact that you're living a life that makes their life look like nothing. Be sure that you, that you can judge correctly. So the Bible says that it is for correction, isn't it? Well, that's in conflict with what the world says right now, that you can't say anything's wrong. Not even, not even followers of Jesus, not even in the church. Can you say anything's wrong? The only thing wrong with that is that's biblically incorrect. I'll say that saying that you can't say something's wrong is wrong. Because, it's just, can y'all read this? I'm, I'm reading it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm like a C student from Calhoun County. I've told y'all that. I read this. I can see that it says Scripture's good for reproof and correction. Right? So if I'm correcting you by Scripture, I'm not doing anything wrong. Am I held to the same standard? Absolutely. But I'm not wrong in pointing to the Scripture. 
and saying, God breathed this and said, what you're doing is wrong. And you claim that you're one of us. Or you don't know that, and I'm showing that Scripture says that this is not the truth. And it also says what? And for training in righteousness. <gasps> there we go again. Now we're going to get into holiness. Righteousness. You, did y'all know that there are verses in the Bible? Hear me, guys, and all of you watching. Did y'all know that there are verses in the Bible? I, I will tell you today, I think it's, is it, help me if y'all know, it's first or so, I think it's 2 Timothy chapter 4. No, I'm sorry, first, first, first Peter chapter 4. I meant 2 Peter. First Peter chapter 4, okay? Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Wow, so, so sin is just not supposed to be part of my life for the, for the rest of my life. No, the Bible says that there's a point where you see victory over sin because of Jesus. And if you've suffered with him and, he, and, and, you, and, you've, been, and you've grinded this out uh, alongside Jesus, that suddenly the power of Jesus is so strong, sin doesn't have dominion over you anymore. My wife will lean over to me, and it's, I love her so much. Yeah, do y'all see that? Do y'all think that I sincerely love my wife? We'll hear somebody teaching. God love them, and, and they're good, and they're getting started, and they're young, and they, they love the Word. They love Jesus. And she'll, over to, she'll go, this guy's going to be great once he suffers. <laughs> he ain't suffered yet. You know why? He didn't have that baritone. You can't hear it yet. It's not there yet. That doesn't mean he's not going to be great. It just means God's going to gonna put him through some stuff to where he's really going to be good. Because when he puts him through it, he's going to love him enough to realize that intimacy with Jesus and the scriptures. are going. This means a lot more to me after I've suffered than it did before I did. I wish it wasn't that way. It just is. And then he says, so we're going to also be trained for righteousness, holiness. This is what we're looking for. We're not looking for the scriptures. This is, write this down. Stop looking at the scriptures for what's allowed and start looking for what's commanded. That's a good one. Hang on to that one. Stop looking for Scripture for what's allowed and start looking at it for what's commanded. That's training in righteousness. Most of these things I say to you is not because I came up with some colorful <coughs> quip. It's because I've lived it out. I've had to grind through this myself. Hey, well, you think we can do this? Let's look and see. I mean, that's the way I used to look at it. Grace abuser. I wonder what we can get away with. What's okay with God? And, you know, as opposed to what's commanded by God. And Paul is telling us we look at it like the latter, not the first. And then he goes on to say, so why? And this is really good. Why should we do this? And we're doing it in here. But you need to be doing it in your personal life too. And I say that to me as well. So that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Paul, why we got to do all this? So you'll be competent. Have you ever, would you love to take your, hey, my car's not running right. Where do you want to take it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Do you want the person to be competent and know what they're doing? No, nah, it doesn't matter. As long as they have a garage, I'll pull it in there. How do we vouch for this guy? Where's your AFC thing? Oh, I don't have that. So it's like those Geico commercials now. You know, how did you end up in this, this, this row? We'll see what happens. I'm cheap. No, you want to be competent. Why do we demand that everybody be competent in, in, in everything except what's most important? I, mean, I don't want to hear from some guy that's not competent and equipped for every good work. Hey, man, I want to talk to you about the Bible. Are you competent? Do you know what you're talking about? Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. What does the Bible say about this? <clears throat> See, let me get a little more personal with you for those of you who have children. What if you're not competent in it? What if you don't know what you don't know it? Remember what I said, if somebody else has to be the spiritual leader for your children, they're a better daddy than you are. If someone has to be the spiritual leader for your wife, they're a better husband than you are. And I am. See, so it's a really big deal. So let's, let's, let's end on that right there. And let's take that away today. And let's think to ourselves what we've been taught today. 
look out for the wolves and sheep's clothing and have nothing to do with them. And in order for us to even know who they are, what, we got to get this last part. we got to understand that if we're going to choose to be followers of Jesus Christ, that means that's going to bring persecution. And when the persecution comes, we get ready to defend him. Paul says, then you need to know the word of God that's been, it's been breathed out by the word of God. And here's what it's for. It's good for teaching. It's good for reproof. It's good for correction. It's, it's good for, for righteousness. And, and then it's also, when you get this, it'll make you competent as a man of God so you're able to get up and know what you're talking about. And you'll be ready for any work God calls you to. That's good stuff. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, for, for leading me to this scripture. I, I, I have spent days trying to figure out why you were doing it. I, I, don't, I don't wonder that anymore. It's almost as if you know what you're doing. And Lord, we thank you for just for tolerating us. You know, the reason why we should have patience is, boy, you really have it. And we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for, for having every single right to destroy us, but being gracious to us. And thank you for breathing out your word so it can be profitable to us that we realize there really is a better life. Not an easier life, but a better life under your authority. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.